Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator as always is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on a Monday. A little late recording, had some technical difficulties, but a packed show to get to. Um, baseball sweeps Florida. Ole Miss had the spring game, a lot going on over the weekend. Um, so we'll kind of see where it takes us from Final Four, National Championship, of course, tonight. So big weekend of sports across the board. Colin, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It was, it was a long weekend. How are you? Uh, yeah, it was. I did. I mean, what, Saturday had two baseball games and the spring game, rain delay mixed in. It was a nice kick in the nuts on top of everything, but all good, all good. It uh, definitely made for a long day, but an interesting one on this, obviously, the two baseball games, spring games. So I, I guess we'll start there. Ole Miss had the Grove Bowl. Um, it was one of those simulated deals where the defense starts with 27 points. The offense tries to catch up, and the defense won 29 to 25. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how much weight you put in that result, but there was definitely some interesting things learned over the weekend. Um, I just kind of read an observation thing, the pieces on supertalk.fm, if you want to go give it a read, but Really kind of the main thing I gathered offensively is really, first of all, they're going to use Tyler Knight in the sl- in the slot and use him a lot of ways. And I think his speed kind of fits in with what Dritt Rodriguez is trying to do. But his pass-catching skills were, were, were I don't know, I want to say impressive because I, don't, I knew he, like, I guess, had them to a degree. But, like, he ran pretty good routes. He got hit over the middle for, by Kincaid Den once or twice and then caught a touchdown pass from Grant Tisdale. Um, I was pretty impressed with him, and I think that he's going to be used in a lot of different ways. Yeah, he seems like a guy that they've got to force the football to. He's too athletic to uh, to not really, you know, get the football, and, and they're going to put him in the slot. But that, that's not going to limit how they get him the football. They'll hand him all, hand him the ball off on jet sweeps, that type thing. He was really good over the middle on Saturday, so that was that was big for Ole Miss. That you know they, they showed that. You know, he's going to be, a, I think, a focal part of this offense because he, he's too athletic to not get the ball in his hands, especially in the type of offense that Rich Rod is trying to run. Yeah, and really, like, if you're kind of looking for a breakout player next year, it's, it's either him or it's Elijah Moore, who's Ole Miss's sophomore slot receiver, played in spurts last year, did some special things, special team stuff. Um, a guy with a lot of speed kind of a shift to your receiver like he's not your aj brown slot type because aj brown wasn't really your natural slot but a really smart receiver he had eight catches for 79 yards in the spring game matt corral kind of has been pretty clear that that Moore is kind of one of the first guys he's kind of built a rapport with and, and kind of clicking in rhythm with because he said he's one of the smartest receivers he's ever he's ever uh played with and then matt both rich rodriguez and matt luke were saying uh, said after the game that that Moore some a lot of times was the best player on the field throughout the spring. So a receiving core that's going to look really really different next year. Um, Demarcus Gregory did, uh, caught a couple of balls. I uh, like what they have in Miles Battle. He played the he got some experience last year. Played four games and and still retained the red shirt. Actually, he may have just played three. I, I'm not 100 percent positive on that, but I, I believe it was three or four. Retains the red shirt. Um, so it, it's going to look different next year receiving-wise, but it's, it's probably going to start with Elijah Moore. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to be one of the, you know, I mean, who they look to kind of replace DK and Lodge and, and uh, AJ. So, you know, it was he looked good on Saturday. And, and, you know, Matt, 
uh, Krause said, obviously, that they have that connection that, that he's built. You know, both of them coming in as true freshmen last year. Uh, so definitely he, he will be one of the uh, more focal points of the, the wide receiver crew uh, going forward. They have some really talented guys there with him, Demarcus Gregory and, and you know, Elijah Moore, Miles Battle. That Those guys can really play. Um, they're not, you know, the, there's not a void for talent in the wide receiver room, and and there there really hasn't been for a while now. So Ole Miss is kind of set at that position, and and, and just cut because of guys like Elijah Moore. There's probably going to be a natural drop off when you lose three guys that are presumably going to be drafted in the NFL draft, but sure. they were like they were used so poorly in the offense last year. I almost wonder if Rich Rodriguez, you know, being a better offensive coordinator and scheming, and them actually running routes instead of that chasing space nonsense, is going to like. I guess less than the drop-off is the right word, because there's definitely a drop-off in talent. Like, they have competent guys there. I mean, between Battle and Moore. I mean, if you put Knight and Moore in the slot at the same time, that could potentially be pretty dangerous. And I think Moore is, could potentially kind of serve as a crutch for Matt Corral, because you, you've got a pretty significant overhaul going on on the offensive line. And you talk about a guy that, that Corral can kind of get the ball in space to quickly and get it out of his hands quickly, that, that feels like Moore and possibly Knight, too. Um, but, but point being, you know, Dontario Drummond's a, a junior college kid from East Mississippi. That's probably going to play immediately. He caught three passes, I believe on Saturday, um, kind of a quiet day, but they like, you know, they like him. He and Gregory are kind of the bigger targets, bigger receivers and, and battles, you know, pretty big in his own right, but they do have a veteran presence there in Braylon Sanders, who that guy really got overshadowed by, by the kind of the big three last year, but he's, he's a pretty good receiver in his own right. So I, I, I do almost wonder as if. Like the fact that they're going to be more efficiently used lessens the drop off because there is a talent drop off. I'm just not sure how much of one. Sure. Um, you know, obviously you said, you know, you lose three guys to the NFL. Um, it's it's definitely going to uh, change the talent dynamic in that room. But like you like you also said, you know, Rich Rodriguez actually being a competent offensive coordinator uh, is probably going to showcase these guys and, you know, play their skill sets more than uh, Phil Longo could ever think about. And so you're probably going to see a drop off, I guess, production wise, but I like, I don't think it's going to be massive. I don't think it's going to be this massive overhaul of, you know, offensive talent at the receiver position. I think Ole Miss will be steady there. And, and you know, I, I don't think if this offense struggles, we look up and, and say the receiving position is why they struggle. And I think there's some other issues among this offense that uh, they could hamper it a little bit, but I, I certainly don't think it's at the receiver position. No, that's a pretty decent segue because if, if, if the offense does struggle, where is it going to be? It's going to be up front because they lose 127 starts off the offensive line. A pretty significant overall going on there. I mean, what you lose Greg Little, you lose Sean Rawlings, you lose Javon, Javon. Patterson, and then you kind of lose Swiss Army Knife is such a cliche, but, but kind of like a glue guy in Jordan Sims who you could plug in a lot of different positions if you had an injury and all that. And like, that's like, I mean, it's been talked about and documented, but I feel, still think it's undersold a little bit because Ole Miss has had the luxury. Like, that offensive line core of Patterson, uh, Little, and, and Sims, and Rawlings, like, those guys for like two, three years in a row had played a lot of football together and were really, really, really good. Yeah, and, and the, they really improved as their careers went along. They obviously start to find an identity to run the football under Matt. Uh, once Matt took over in, in 2017, and it's going to be a significant drop off. There's really no other way to put it. And and if if you're kind of gauging where this offense might struggle, it kind of starts there. You know, I think Alex Gibbons will be fine at left tackle. I think Ben Brown will be fine at right guard. But you just don't know uh, past that what you're going to get out of these guys. 
Yeah, and there's a core of guys there. I mean, it's it's the Ben Brown, as you mentioned. It's Bryce Matthews. It's Royce Newman. It's like Eli Johnson's in there too because he's probably going to play center. Like it's a it's a it's a collection of guys that has now been on campus together. Like it's the 2016 class essentially, give or take a year. Maybe one or two of them came in in 17, and like they have lim- varying degrees of experience. Ben Brown with more, Bryce Matthews with a little bit, Royce Newman with some. Uh, I believe Eli Johnson was hurt for most of last year. Maybe that was two years ago but point that was being, last year. yeah i was about to say i think he tore it in like the second game or something like that right. tore it tore up his knee yeah so like those guys have been on campus that like a while and like i mean they're not like they're not fish out of water in the sense they're adjusting the college game but they don't have a ton of experience and like you just don't really know what that's gonna look like sure and, uh, I, I mean and, like Rodriguez does that moving pocket stuff, and like I feel like there's like a little bit of gimmicky ways to like take some pressure off him. But particularly with the new scheme, it's that area. Is, I, I don't know what to make of it at all, really. To be honest, I mean, it's uh, I don't think they played particularly well on Saturday. Do you? Um, are you talking about the offensive line? Correct. Yeah, so I, I have a hard time because obviously, it's very. I mean, spoiler alert: the game was on SEC Network. Like you know, other people watch sec network including you know <laughs> opposing coaches and stuff so like you're not showing anything but to your point the mike mcintyre's defense got to the quarterback and it's so hard to gauge because it's a controlled environment they're not like it's it's two-hand touch on the quarterbacks essentially but they, but but there was consistent pressure to the quarterbacks without mcintyre and them do- dialing up any blitzes so I, I don't know if it's like a played poorly thing, but they they definitely were susceptible to to quarterback pressures, I guess. And and, and that's kind of worrisome because I don't really think that defensive line was at its you know full strength. Um, so they've got a lot of ways to go before before they load the bus and go to Memphis at the uh, last part of August. Um, you know, is is. Good as Ole Miss's offense has kind of been, you know, recently it kind of started because they had a really good offensive line. I mean, you just you, you don't know what you've got there, and when you don't know what you have on the offensive line, it's tough in this league. And if the offensive line struggles, it's going to be really hard for them to win a win a bunch of football games in this league. And it's tough because they're shorthanded right now. I mean, Royce Newman or no, Bryce Matthews came in the other day to availability and was like, "Yeah, I think I've played all five positions in practice at certain point." And like it, it, it's kind of funny, but it it, it's, it kind of sheds light on the like they have seven newcomers coming in in the fall who aren't here yet. And so they're kind of shorthanded as is right now. But Rich Rodriguez said after it, he was like, look, like like at least one or two of these newcomers, maybe two, three, are going to have to like be ready to play as, as far as depth or some push for a starting job. And like that's a little alarming in the sense that like you're going to get a kid on campus in the summer, go through fall camp, and then be like, all right, buddy, here's SEC football. <laughs> Uh, especially for you know, I don't I don't know if they you know uh, I'm sure the guys they brought in are, are good players, but I don't know if they have you know the highly t- I don't think they have the highly touted hot prospect from offensive line standpoint that and it's probably you know, Broker's probably the closest one, don't you think? Sure, but uh, I mean that's still a true freshman that's that's having to play significant SEC snaps, and so it's going to be a little bit of a work in progress from that aspect among the offensive line and and what you're going to get out of those guys to be sure. And the thing that's uh, different about that with other positions is, like, offensive line, and Richrod said this after the game, he's like, you could have a true freshman that kind of is is very receptive, knows what he's doing, is going on, 
but can't do it well because he's not physically up to weight. Like, they're going to have to put weight on a lot of these kids and just get them physically ready to play. And, like, that's not something you just do in, like, a week and a half, two weeks. <laughs> like, a game plan or a scheme. Like, that takes time. And, like, that makes me think back. Do you remember Sean Rawlings was kind of supposed to redshirt that first year? And then they have the Tunsil thing, and he's kind of thrown in the fire. Now, granted, he had a veteran group around him to kind of, like, not shelter him, but help him out a lot. But, like, like if you're having to play kids that aren't physically like up to where they need to be as far as weight and strength wise, I don't know what you do. And the, you know, Rich Rod was kind of like, that's where your youth shows the most. Cause if you got a young offensive line, even if you know what you're doing, you might not necessarily be able to do it well. Cause you're not physically equipped to do it. Correct. And, and there's, you know, you can't ask more out of kids than what they're physically able to do. Um, so yeah, it, it's a point of concern for Ole Miss going into this football season. They've got time to figure it out. Um, but that there's just not a lot of bodies there. There's not a lot of, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of guys that have a lot of experience at those positions. So they're going to have to figure out something and, and try to, you know, be, be the best they can. But it, it's 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 going to be a significant drop off going into the uh, 2019 season. That's the biggest point of concern on this football team without like probably by far and away. Like, I don't think there's really a close second. Sure. Um, I mean, the defense kind of is what it is, but exactly, it, it exactly is what it is. You know, I mean, like, I think they'll, we'll get to that in a second, but like, they'll be better and all that. But like, like you said, it is what it is. Like no offensive line. You're not, you're not moving the ball. Yeah. And if you can't move the ball, I mean, you, you know, as, as cliche as uh, defense wins championships, you know, offense wins championships too. Um, plenty, high, plenty of high scoring offense win national championships. And that's not to say this team can compete for a national title. That's not what I'm saying at all. But, but the point is, I mean, you have to be able to score. Um, you're, it, it, Ole Miss defense is, first of all, it's not good enough to be able to, to, you know, navigate a, an offense that can't score, um, pretty consistently. But even if they were, I mean, you, you, you got to figure out ways to get the ball in the end zone. And if Ole Miss's offensive line is, you know, not up to snuff, I don't really know how they're going to, you know, compete in the SEC. So I mean, that that's the biggest thing to look at going forward is how they address that. Because with a subpar offensive line, I'm not exactly sure how they win, you know, six, five or six football games. The only other thing I had offensive note wise was the offensive backfield. Like, Matt Corral, I think, what, 22 of 37, 240 yards, touchdown and a pick, had a ball get deflected at the line of scrimmage. It was a bad decision, I mean, though. Yeah, it, 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 it was, but uh, Anderson made a decent play. But, like, the thing is, is, like, Matt Corral wasn't allowed to use his feet, really, because they're not letting him run. It's like a two-in touch thing. I don't, I'm not going to, like, go, like, 10 minutes on, like, how he did. I thought he threw it pretty well, made some decent throws, made some not-so-decent throws. He's the guy, like, yeah, like to to me, the biggest thing is that he's shown is like he's the de facto old guy in the quarterback room full As of kids that should still be in high school. No, Corral's a redshirt freshman. Like, yeah, but true. Yeah, kind of the point. Second year because like <laughs> he is kind of a sophomore because he played in a couple games or whatever. But like that's the point. He's a redshirt freshman and he's the veteran. But <laughs> he seems to have like the attitude and kind of the demeanor. And I think he kind of embraces that a little bit because, I mean, nowadays, I mean, I guess it's kind of always been this way. But, like, these kids come out of high school wanting to play immediately, and, like, this is as close to immediately as he's going to get. He's a redshirt freshman, and this is, like, this offense is his and this team is his. And so, like, like I thought he was fine. What's, what's interesting in, the, in, in that sense is his backup. Kincaid Dent made a couple nice throws, and then you look up, he's kind of 4-12. Grant Tisdale threw the touchdown pass. He didn't see a ton out of either one of them. Like, I think my observation in the writing was they did some nice things. Um, so, like, you just can't tell a whole lot from that kind of, like, scrimmage. I, I think when when Plumley 
comes in, it probably changes the dynamic of that backup job a little bit. But both of those dudes did some okay things. That's that's really about all I had on that. Yeah, if if, if John Rice Plumley, uh, Kincaid Dent, or Grant Tisdale is taking meaningful SEC snaps, Ole Miss is in a mess. And it's not not that those guys don't have the ability. It's simply that they're probably not going to be ready to go. Um, you know, and, and you know, in a new offense with with Rich Rod, and, and so Matt Corral is going to have to be the quarterback, and and there's not going to be any you know replacing Matt Corral. Um, I guess from a backup perspective, both of those guys were fine. I guess um, you know they're you know early enrollee freshmen, so uh, you know learning a new offense along with everybody else. So they, uh, I mean, they they did some good things. I don't I don't think that you're uh, going to look at either one of those and, and expect them to contribute for at least two years. No, but if, if if Ole Miss's last three football seasons have told you anything, you need a backup. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess Tommy made it through the year healthy without having to come out, but I guess that's the only one here recently. Yeah, and like, yeah, I think that we. I mean, this is literally just me speculating, but like, like who's to say? Like, if it does come to that scenario, and like, say, I mean, say Corral does like get injured and has to miss. Like, I'm not even talking the whole year, just like a couple games or whatever. Like. With as young as you are behind him, like who's to say you don't just throw Jason Pellerin back there and run like Oof. a red version of a wing T or something? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like just pretty much stamp it on your helmet that hey, we're not going to throw the football because we can't. You're gonna you're gonna do that behind the offensive line that's that's kind of developing. I don't know if I'd do all that. Uh, I mean, but what else? You got? Like, yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, this, it's I, an insane idea. I'll just I'd I saw stick, I'd stick like, Plumley back there and tell him to go get him. It was kind of one of those things. Where I saw Pellerin running like tight end and drills and warm ups, and I was like, "Oh, like this guy's still around." Because remember, <laughs> he was going to go into A and M that night and start instead of Shea Patterson, allegedly. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, him or Evan Ingram could could also start because he could throw the football. Hugh Freeze told us that that uh, Evan Ingram could throw and he might get some reps at quarterback. That was a fun experience when he tried Sources to pretend to say, Shea. You know, I skipped that game at the DM. So that's the College Station game. We'd already gone to Orlando, like. Pat Thompson, our advisor, sweet lady, she's awesome. But she was like, "I, you're not like, I can't pay for you to fly there, so you drive to College Station." Chad Kelly's hurt. Me being a naive student reporter and hit listening to Hugh Freeze all week, be like, "Yeah, we're probably not burning the red shirt on Shea Patterson." And I'm like, "You know what? To hell with this. I'm not going to the game." And then what happens? <laughs> they start Shea, Shea Patterson, Patterson, who at that time was the future of the program. He leads them to this dramatic comeback, and you know, I'm sitting on a bar stool in Oxford, just being like, "What did I just do?" <laughs> I don't know, man. It, it, you still would have had to drive to College Station. That that doesn't sound uh, enticing, to say the least. No, but like I, I made the decision out of the fact that, well, first of all, like the sweet irony in all this is me at 21, 22 being like, oh, yeah, Hugh Freeze said that. It has to be true. <laughs> Hugh Freeze told me this. Therefore, it is accurate. Yeah, like it's what, yeah. So I'm, yeah. Anyway, that that really chaps. I mean, I get why. Like, I get the gamesmanship and all that. But I was like, you know, damn it. Like, everybody so, knew. Yeah, I I think everyone. That's what I even a, even in that being that young and kind of new to everything. I was like, this just doesn't make sense. They're really gonna put Jason Pellerin in this game, and <laughs> no, they they were not, and I don't think they were ever going to. No. So, I mean, really. Only other thing offensively, Snoop Connor and Blue Penniman got a bunch of carries because, you know, they didn't have um, Scotty Phillips didn't play. Uh, Isaiah Willard got 10 carries, too. I kind of left him out there. But but the, really, I kind of discounted Willard because Phillips is the starter. Willard's a really good second back. Like, that, that, there's really no competition there. But you saw at the end of last year when Phillips got hurt, 
at A&M. He basically missed three games because it was early enough in the A&M game to where he wasn't much of a factor. And then missed last two. After Willard, Ole Miss didn't have hardly anything. And that really affected the offense towards the end of the year, aside from, you know, the the incompetencies in the red zone. And maybe that contributed to it a little bit. But they're going to need a third back. And with Eric Sweeney out of the program, Penniman coming off a catastrophic injury, you might see some Snoop Connor next fall. Yeah, um, and, and he looked good. He was a big kid and, and, and puts his foot in the ground and gets upfield pretty well. So he looked really good on, on Saturday. I can't remember exact his exact stat line. But I think he had like 10 for 56 maybe. Yeah, that'll play. But he had a couple – yeah, I mean he had a couple really nice runs. It seems like a big – like I don't know – I didn't know a ton about him, but he seems like a big powerful kid. Sure, and and I think he's a guy that gets carries and, and meaningful carries for Ole Miss next year. Look, you can't get through this league with one or two running backs. You've got to you got to have some depth there, and, and he certainly uh, goes ways to you know provide that. And they're going to run night, but you can't run that kid between the tackles. No, 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 not if you want to keep him healthy or alive. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so and then like they don't know what they have with Penniman yet, and like I've asked Matt Luke that a couple times this spring because it is intriguing because that was a catastrophic knee injury. He suffered at the end of 2017, but like he was out there, he was going through full contact. They said, you know, his speed and agility and like cutting isn't still where it needs to be. But, you know, it, it's it. I lean towards Snoop Connor because you just don't know what you're going to get with Penman if it's ever going to be the same. Sure. And, and you know, to those injuries like that, I mean, it wasn't just a torn ACL. It went a lot deeper than that. And like you said, you don't ever know how, how that'll rebound. So right now, yeah, the, the third back probably is Snoop Connor, which is, you know, the, another true freshman. They're going to count on a lot of true freshmen this year. It just kind of is what it is with, from that standpoint. Oh, yeah. No, this is a incredibly young football team. I mean, there's no getting around it. And that's why this is kind of a reset year in the sense, because – I mean, it's a, it's really like, uh, like I, more and more you think about it when we got through the spring, like you're like, okay, they're kind of young here. Okay. They're really young here. And you get to like six different position groups and you're like, you know, holy crap. Like this team really is young. Yeah. I mean, it, there's really not a position group where you look at and, and you know, deem them experience maybe outside of linebacker. Which I mean, defensive ironic. line is kind of the only thing I was thinking. I of. Linebackers, they still got some young pieces too. Like if they get rugs back. Like I guess Sonogo's an upperclassman now, but they're still kind of young there. Yeah, I mean it's 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 going to be a young football team, uh, to be certain. Yeah, yeah, growing pains probably a many. Defensively, I didn't have a ton of notes. It was one that I swear I'm not being facetious saying this. They lined up correctly a lot more, and that's probably them being very vanilla. But they appear to be better tacklers, and like, like it's like it sounds so ridiculous to like even kind of like use it as analysis. But if you watched any of Ole Miss the last two years, that's not always a given. No, they did not line up all the time, and they did certainly did not tackle well. Um, and that's probably why they weren't a very good defense the past three years. So, I mean, you, know, you watch that, like, like, like you watch the 14-15 defenses. When you watch <laughs> the 17-18 Ole Miss defenses, the just like, like it's almost laughable how bad they were wrapping people up and tackling sometimes. Yeah, uh, I mean, the... The, from from the 14 defense to the 18 defense, man, there's got to be the biggest fall off in college football history. Like I, I don't under no, I understand how it happens, but um, oh, I know exactly how it happened. Well, yeah, Hugh Freeze didn't recruit defensive players, so but damn it, they got another four star receiver. <laughs> they got eight four star receivers and one no linebackers, a whole linebacker. Um, 
because Mike Warriors was so always coming to Ole Miss. Uh, oh, you know, and you remember, uh, who was the dude? Who was the dude heading into sixteen that he was all Pac twelve from Oregon State? Uh, oh, uh, Ro- uh, Rommel Magaya. Rommel Magaya, yeah. That guy. And he looked the part. I remember the first day. Boy, he of, looked uh, good. The first day of fall camp, I was like, "Oh man, like they got a guy from the Chicago Bears." Holy shit! And then like. <laughs> <laughs> like just, you he disappeared run. three and a half games in. <laughs> oh God! But um, that, that yeah, was they the were kid fine. that uh, Freeze said that they were going to start at linebacker at the end of the season because he knew how to line up. Oh yeah, and like <laughs> and like that was the year they went into Florida State and the the defense kind of played out of its mind for the first half. Like that was the most drastic. Do you remember at the beginning of the year? Like they're like, okay, this might be a college football playoff team. Yeah, and then they're up thir- like twenty points on Florida State at halftime. You're like, oh, Ole Miss is going to win the national title. How about that? Yeah, and then like they have the loss at Arkansas, and then I remember standing on like the field at Death Valley when they're getting trounced in that game. And I was like, oh, uh, what was it? Terry Caldwell's getting into it with a coach? With, with a and coach, I was like, yeah. I was like, wait a second, I don't think these guys can stop anybody like at all. <laughs> and like, sure enough, Leonard like, Fournette killed a man that night. Yeah, he had at one point he had six carries for two hundred and fifty four yards. You can't do that on NCAA football. You couldn't do that if you play. You could set it on easy mode. You could do whatever. You couldn't do that on a video game. No, <laughs> they're just gashing Ole Miss's defense. Oh god. Yeah, I think there's a great. Me. I think there's a little tombstone for Deontay Anderson on like the forty five yard line near the sideline. Rest in peace. Yeah, man, that was. Anyway, so like, yeah, they lined up fine. The biggest thing for me was watching those outside guys like Sam Williams and they didn't have their full complimentary pieces, but they look like they have a couple of guys that kind of fit that part and they're going to ask them to do a lot of different things because Ole Miss couldn't generate an edge pass rush very well last year. Um, they were okay on the inside, but yeah, just couldn't couldn't get pressure off the edge. But that's going to be probably the biggest key to this defense is do they have the pieces at that outside spot to both kind of drop back in coverage, rush the passer. Like, that that seems to be kind of the crux of the defense. Yeah, and, and you know, you're going to count on the guy, some guys that, you know, have been in the program a while that probably hasn't produced at the level that you thought they would. Maybe like a Chuck Wiley and those type guys. Um, so there's some experience there uh, just from the standpoint that they've been in the program. But Ole Miss is going to have to have some guys on the defensive uh, side of the football to be able to, to produce at the level that they recruited to be able to do. Chuck Wiley and Sam Williams, the, the Williams is probably the best kid they signed in this entire class, not named Ely. Yeah, yeah. Like th- to me, that's two guys where you're looking at that outside spot and you're kind of like, like this is like. That's really going to tell the tale because I think with like Sonogo led obviously led with eight tackles. That guy obviously, I mean, much like last year, he's going to kind of be the heart and soul and kind of be the old guy in, in a pretty young, pretty young room. So like 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 I feel like they're fine on the inside, but outside's really going to tell the tale for them. Yeah, and and you know, I think they'll be better at the linebacker position this year than they were last year, just from an experience standpoint. And I think they're a little bit more talented this year than they've been in a while. So that'll that'll be a start. And then you you know you got some returning pieces in the secondary. It just kind of is what it is. And, and Ole Miss is going to have to recruit better and recruit you know more speed to this defense. But I do think this defense will be better than it has been the past two years. Yeah, and like I think they have guys that like fit it okay. Like they moved Kadir Shepard to that outside spot. Chuck Wiley's at that outside spot. Like. Those guys, 6'2", 6'3", 240, give or take a little bit. Uh, I think Shepard's probably 250 or so. But, like, like, 
like I kind of like what they're doing with those guys. And then you move a bigger kid like Brennan Williams. I don't know how much they're going to get out of him. But he played pretty well on Saturday. Devontae Ruggs moved from inside to outside. Obviously, he's suspended right now. I think like I'm not. I don't like. There's a lot going on with that situation. I think, but like they're going to need that kid because he and oh, Jacquez Jones were the kids that just kind of got better by osmosis in the sense that like they had to play a ton of snaps as freshmen. Yeah, and and you know that that experience is irreplaceable. So uh, they'll certainly have you know those guys that played a lot last year, and you know for their sake, uh, you know hopefully they improve and get a lot better just you know from a playing experience and that type thing. It is uh, it's a work in progress to be sure, but like I said, I I think there's some positive signs there, and I think you'll look up at the uh, end of the 2019 season and. Maybe not, you know, like where the defense is at, but understand that it's probably it's an improvement for where it had been too. I don't know if the results are going to be any different. I don't, but it's going to be more visually appeasing. They're going to tackle better, like we said. They're going to line up. Well, better. if they tackle better, the results are going to be better. Maybe I mean, even if just marginally, but yeah, sure. I agree. I mean, naturally they have to be right. I mean, if you're not yeah. missing tackles, you're making more. Yeah, like, yeah. Like it, there's a cho- there's a choice on each play. You miss the tackle or you make the tackle. If you make the tackle, that's better for the defense. So I think they have to be better. Uh, if they're better tacklers, and I do agree that they will be. And the thing with the Ole Miss defense is, like, like it's not only that they were just, like, bad the last couple years. Like, you had those, like, seven, eight, nine times a game where a running back hits a hole and, and there's no 16. one within 25 yards of them or somebody catches a ball in the flats and there's literally no one within, like, the, the panned camera screen of where he is. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what yeah. I'm talking about? And it's yeah. kind of like, whoa, like, how does somebody get that open? Third and 16, they throw a ball in the flat and it's – 18-yard game in the first Without half. being touched. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like that's... That happened th- consistently. There will be less of that. Because McIntyre's got a reputation of doing a lot with a little, whether it's San Jose State or Colorado. And that's exactly what he's going to have to do here. But I, like I said, they're go- they're probably going to struggle. I mean, it is what it is. But you, you I don't, think they're going to look better struggling. You don't think Mac's going to dial up uh, an all-out blitz on third and eight, every third and eight? <laughs> I, I just like... Like I, I, I'm not football savvy to the sense of like, I'm not like, like a blitz construction and things like that. But I know with my eyes, like what is the right thing to do and what's not. And like McGriff, most of the time, not it. <laughs> third, third night, he's sending twelve after the quarterback. Yeah, it's just like you're leaving a young secondary on an island. So I think the <sighs> secondary, I think they have enough pieces. They're like Kedron Smith. Um, CJ Miller picked off a really underthrown pass by Grant Restmeyer. Um, Jalen Jones the, will be back. Jalen Jones back. Julius is back. Hartsfield's back. Like they'll have a couple of new safeties, but you still got Dasher who didn't play. So you're not a whole lot to gauge there. Interior defensive line, no Cotney, no Jones. I don't really, I mean, not a whole lot you can gain from that. I thought they were fine. They, like I said, they generated some pressure without dialing up blitzes, which I don't know if that speaks to his offensive line struggles or them being better defensively, but that kind of could be both. Yeah, probably a little bit of both. That's kind of really all I had on the spring game. And like big picture wise, like you didn't see anything schematically like offensively. Like you don't really know what they're going to look like or what they're going to do. You kind of have a better idea of some personnel that's going to contribute to what's not. Look, I don't know what the results are going to be for this team. I think they're going to struggle. I think that's fairly obvious to say. But I think that it's going like there's enough new there and there's enough kind of veteran presence in terms of the two coordinators that I think they're going to probably like they'll improve throughout the year, I think. And I think it'll be a more visually appeasing product. Yeah, and that's probably all Ole Miss fans ask at this point is to just get better from from where they have been and, and to get better throughout the year. The issue for Ole Miss is 
the uh, schedule so front loaded that you can improve and it, it and not you know show up in the win loss column. Yeah, and like, are there two more frustrating coordinator pair than Wesley McGriff and Phil Longo oh in terms God. of their philosophies and what did like like. <laughs> I don't think you could find one. Well, okay. All right. I'll present you one. Um, Phil Longo and the guy he's working with now who was at Navy and was having to play about 36 defensive snaps a game. Oh, Mac <laughs> Brown. Mac Brown is uh He got him a staff. He's got, yeah, he's got he's got his thinking cap on, I guess. So I don't really know what's going on over there. He doesn't put together a staff there. Yeah. Like, I told Borky on, on the air the other day, like, he was like, like, Borky asked me, he's like, how do you make that hire? And I was kind of like, isn't it the Bowling Green thing where you Google good offensive numbers and you hire based off that? <laughs> I can't think of any other reason. But so that kind of puts a bow on football really until kind of the end of the summer, which is kind of crazy because – like you keep thinking it's far off, but then I'm going to look up in August and be like, you know, how the hell did this get here? You'll so, be in media days in, in two weeks. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It, the, there's a whole lot going on with this team. They're going to be a more interesting team just naturally because of all the newness. So kind of transitioning to baseball, obviously Ole Miss picks up a huge sweep of Florida and my, we'll stay on the observation front. If I wrote an observations piece from baseball, it would be the offense is kind of rounding into form and woo, Florida sucks. <laughs> and both can be true. Oh, um, both. I think both are true. Yeah. Uh, Florida is, is maybe one of the worst teams I, I've seen play in Oxford. It was shocking, honestly. That, that team was incompetent. It wasn't that it like, there, there have been teams that come into Oxford and get swept that play well and Ole Miss is just kind of at another level. No, Florida would have gotten swept by just about anybody in the SEC this weekend. And it's not just the pitching because, like you like you said on Friday, the the Mace kid's a good pitcher, but a bad matchup for Ole Miss. Dyson is a guy that's close to College World Series, but Saturday he was awful. But it's not just the pitching; they were horrible in the field, just yeah, atrocious. And, and I mean, they made two or three errors that on Sunday night or Saturday night that just led directly to Ole Miss winning the baseball game. Uh, they couldn't throw strikes, but you know, look, give Ole Miss credit. They 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 did what they were supposed to do. It really showed a lot of mental resolve on on s- Saturday night. You know, eight to nothing. It's raining. There are approximately eleven people in the stands. Um, you could have just phoned it in after winning the series, and and give to their credit, they didn't. I mean, you look, Florida's not good, and Florida presented them opportunities to uh, win, whereas a, you know a good baseball team wouldn't do that. But give them almost credit. They took advantage of it and went 3-0 on the weekend and have really put themselves in a good spot going forward. Yeah, that was probably my biggest takeaway from the weekend outside of outside of the offense. It's it's the it's the kind of relentlessness of them knowing like they didn't take full advantage, like probably in the back of their I mean, they're not thinking this in the dugout or anything, but like they didn't take full advantage of kind of the Alabama Missouri thing, even though Missouri seems a lot more formidable than I think most thought. And they know that like sweeping is hard to come by in this league. And when you yeah. got an opportunity to do it in the dogfight that is going to be the West this year, you got to do it. And to your point, there's 15 people in the stands. They're down eight to nothing, and they didn't phone it in. They got back into the game. Hell, they it, so at the rain delay in the fifth, it was eight to three, and then they erased it in a matter of like 20 minutes after the delay, maybe <laughs> even less than that. I mean, yeah. it showed how expl- like they're never out of a game with that offense even as bad as Florida's pitching was. But, yeah, it was kind of the mental resolve to kind of not phone in the last game because that was – I mean, you're down 8 to nothing, your starter didn't give you any length, and you're in a rain delay. Like, I, I can't think of another reason to phone it in. Like, you had everyone on the table. And you did. And, and 
the, give them credit there. They, you know, Parker Crazy was outstanding, and, and he gave Ole Miss zeros when they had to have zeros, and what was a slugfest. And Mike you know, deserves so, credit there too. Like, yeah, I, I, for as bad as people criticize him, I like some what of he does relevant. with the closer, where he's like, "Look, this game's a slugfest. I'm going to hand it to my best gun and be like, stop this, this, yeah. essentially." Yeah, and 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 if he had to finish it with somebody else, he would have. But you know, Ole Miss couldn't keep giving up runs and stay in the game there, so he gives it to Crazy, and Crazy just kind of finishes it. I think he said after the game he wanted to go to Olenek, but Olenek's over there and can't walk. Um, so. You know, it, it, give Parker credit, give Mike credit. It was a really good decision, and that's kind of what led them to a sweep into an eight and four record, and kind of, I mean, not kind of, a, a, essentially a, on top of the SEC West with Arkansas and LSU right now. Caracy, it it kind of like what you saw last year. His breaking stuff, his secondary stuff. I don't want to say work in progress because it's there, but it's kind of taken a while each year to kind of come along. Like a month ago, he was not confident in it at all couldn't really throw anything other than fastballs for strikes was really fastball heavy but threw a couple really nice sliders to get strikeouts and that is really coming along which is certainly a good sign for Ole Miss yeah and and you know his fastball is good enough to just get people out by itself because it's such a high RPM fastball but his ability to drop sliders in there at 78 miles an hour is almost unfair um and Florida was not able to sit on the fastball I don't think they had but one hit and it wasn't really that hit that well off Caracy. So, you know, Caracy's a guy that, look, Ole Miss is going to have to get high leverage innings out of him. They're going to have to get a lot of high leverage innings out of him with the Sunday situation being in flux. So it was it was good to see him be extended and, and to produce at the level that he did. Um, Etheridge, good, pretty good for the time he was in there. Obviously leaves the game Friday night with a blister. Um, Mike Banker said Saturday night that better chance than not that he does pitch against Kentucky, which is important considering Kentucky's throwing Zach Thompson. But the uh, blister did not burst. Like, so I'll ask didn't you get... this. Zach Thompson pitches on Saturdays for Kentucky. Do you give Etheridge an extra day off and match him up with Thompson and throw Nikhazy on Friday night? I think I might, particularly with the blister. Yeah, it's kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, you get to match your best pitcher up against, and no, no discredit to Nikhazy. He's been really good. But uh, if you're in a game where you have to win, I think, and I'm not saying Saturdays have to win, but if you, you're just talking about who you want on the mound in a situation uh, where, you, where you have all your options, I would rather have you know Will Etheridge face up against Zach Thompson. And the it, it, it added benefit is he gets an extra day with the blister. I'm not disagreeing with you, and I think that's a smart move, but I've gotten to the point to where that the way Nikhazy's pitched to me. You don't screw with it. No, 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 no. I'm not saying necessarily don't do it, but in terms of the in in like the 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 single question in a vacuum of if you have to have a game like like that you got to win, who do you go with? I'm comfortable with either one of those guys at this point. That's fair. Yeah, that, but that's no, fair. I, I still think that's a good like a good strategy in the sense that blister obviously matchup. Uh, yeah, so like I would probably do it, but like like if they got like I guess my point being is if they're in a in, a, in an elimination game scenario in June and just say all things are even and no one's pitched, like, if you go crazy, I mean, if you go Nikhazy or Etheridge, I'm probably, like, almost, like, coin flip fine with either. Probably, yeah. I mean, that that's certainly fair, you know, especially with, with Etheridge's blisters issue, which obviously is no fault of his own, but, you know, you know I mean, it could pop up at any time, and, and Nikhazy hasn't, Nikhazy's really shown that he, he can go deep into games. He was really good on Saturday night, and I guess we can get into that is, 
Uh, kid's just yeah. a good pitcher, and he's 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 smart kid, and he's beyond his years in terms of kind of composure and maturity. And then throwing four pitches for strikes obviously helps too. Yeah, that, that doesn't hurt. I don't know how much you got to watch. I don't know if you were at the Grove Bowl. It seemed kind of, and, and you may not agree here. It seemed kind of personal Saturday too. Kid from Florida he said that a little bit. Like oh, it wasn't. He? It, it, well, he said there. Somebody he got asked about that Thursday, and like. It wasn't like like you like you whether there there was any animosity there you couldn't sense it he was just like yeah I'm really looking forward to it and like seemed genuinely <laughs> eager about it but he I mean Florida kid they don't really recruit him like yeah it probably is whether he is going to admit it or not yeah and, and he shoved and he shoved every start he's had pretty much I mean he is just reliable as is they come for Ole Miss right now uh, I don't know where they are without that kid. Well, they're probably six and six. <laughs> they're at in best. a world in trouble. They're six and six at best because you're probably just still running out Zach Phillips and hoof. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you, he he's really good on Saturday. He goes deep. He saves your bullpen. You're able to use Broadway and Hill because the score gets out of hand, and you know that saves Miller and, and Crazy for game three, which is essentially what won of the game. The offense obviously scores twelve runs, but the fact that you were able to put Miller and Crazy in there and they could throw up zeros um, because in case he gives you the link that he did. Because I think and when he left, Myers the game, was it, tre- tremendous on Friday after Etheridge goes, oh, saves absolutely. the bullpen. What yeah. he goes five and a five and a third, five and a third, yeah, five and a third, two runs on on two home run balls that, um, you know, just kind of happen when you're up that big. You're throwing strikes; they're going to get a hold of a few. Um, yeah, and he, and he left was, him up. Like he admitted they were bad pitches, but two pretty sure. harmless mistakes. Right, but you're not worried about being up in the zone when you're up ten to two. You know, um, you're just trying to throw it over the plate. So. You know, but I think he—he's a guy that you look at on Sunday, and is probably going to get the ball next Sunday, don't you think? Yeah. So, so hold that thought for just a second. So we'll get to that. So forty runs on forty-nine hits seems like a pretty good ratio for three games. Um, the offense, fifty over four, right? Because they scored ten at Arkansas last Sunday. Yeah. So fifty over Ooh. four games. The North Alabama, the uh, rapture notwithstanding. <laughs> so. Yeah, so like the I mean to me it's 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 Gray Kessinger is on fire in SEC play. I, I I don't have the number in front of me, but hitting it an incredibly high clip. It's the pieces you thought were gonna kinda carry the lineup getting going, and that's Tyler Keen and Thomas Dillard, because Zabowski's been doing it all year. And then this weekend in particular, it was kind of the peripheral pieces in other parts of the lineup, like a Servideo or something like that. I mean, pretty much everyone hit well this weekend. Right. But in terms of this offense being more consistent, like you thought they were going to be, it's Gray, it's the Keenan and Dillard getting going, and it's the lineup that they finally settled into with Olenek at leadoff because they have been a completely different lineup since they ran that out there in the Sunday win in Arkansas. It's funny how when you put a lineup together for efficiency, it, it seems to work better. And I don't think that was – I don't think the kids started hitting because you put a, put together the uh, the best lineup that you have all year. But, I mean, it's the best lineup that they had all year, and they've been tinkering, tinkering with it since day one. I really liked Servideo in the nine hole. They did that all weekend, and he was really good. He's an extra leadoff guy. Uh, Chase Cockrell hits over 400 this weekend. Look, I, I know the Chase Cockrell joke is, you know, he does it, and then he'll go strike out and go 0 for 4 with three Ks. Um but Ole Miss needs Chase Cockrell. Like, they need him to hit the balls over the fence to justify the strikeout rate. They do, but, I mean, 
okay, I understand what you're saying, but who are you going to play in place of him that's giving you more right now? Like Tim Oko is not giving you much. Jacob Adams, I guess he gives you a little bit more defensively. He gives you a lot more defensively, but he's not really – I mean, he's got like a 560 OPS. I mean, it. I don't really know – what value you're getting by taking him out of the lineup? Oh, I'm not saying taking him out. I'm just talking about like, like, like. I, to me, he still hasn't done just like justified the strikeout rate yet. But to your sure. point, there's not necessarily a better default option at the moment. That's kind of my thing. Is is I would rather play the kid that has a done it before from a power perspective, and b is is kind of showing signs of life, especially when uh, you know, the other you know, options kind of haven't right now. So almost going forward is, is if they can get Chase Cockrell going, because I think they're okay at, at, with Kevin Graham and, and Knox Apostor, um, you know, platooning at the DH spot. I think if they can get Cockrell going, this team is probably going to be able to reach the ceiling that it set for itself before the year. Um, because, you know, the dirty little secret is everybody talked about replacing the rotation and whatnot, and that was certainly fair. The rotation from a numbers perspective has been better this year than it was last year. Um, and some of that is, is a little bit of dumb luck. And some of that is that I think that, you know, I think Will Etheridge is probably a little bit better from a college perspective than Ron Rollison on a Friday. I think Doug Nikhazy really good. And, and um, you know, is, is in flux as the situation is on Sunday. They, they've gotten kind of better numbers than they did from MacArthur last year on Sunday. So, you know, going forward, it's a it's a situation where. I think the offense has, has kind of figured it out. And like you said, they played pretty well on the periphery this weekend outside of, you know, the top six um, that, you know, it was kind of been locked into the lineup. The, the role you'd, players kind of played well. You'd be remiss if you didn't mention Cooper Johnson because it's a kid that's <laughs> taken a lot of crap for his offense. Defense is always – I mean, he had he's had some receiving issues in the past. Sure. But in terms of, like, talent and pop time and all that, that's never really been a question. He has probably the best arm in the SEC. Um, it. Alforda kept trying to run on him, and I, I, yeah. I can't for the life of me figure out why. It was just a, it was a suboptimal strategy from start to finish. Like I, I don't understand that one. I don't know how many guys he threw out, but it was, it was three in two games. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, at least I, I'm pretty sure. And so, <laughs> but he's hitting three. Like like I said Friday night when he had his two run two RBI single or double maybe that that really kind of put the game away. I was like, look, man, like if you had him hitting three ten on April fifth, like. Cash the ticket because you yeah you probably got pretty good odds on that but it's a kid that 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 cares a lot works really hard at his hit like has worked really hard to improve that because what he he starts five for fifty one his freshman year and then pulls his average up all the way to like two thirteen and like batting average be it be it as it may is a relevant stat I'm just like just as a as a as a kind of a mile marker to how you know how far when you go five for fifty one <laughs> you have to pull your average up to get to two fifteen. Well, that's below a hundred, so yeah, you got to do some serious. He work hit two ninety nine the last two months of his freshman year, basically. Which for yeah, him, it, that'll get it done. And everybody's talked about. Oh, I don't know if the offense. Look, I don't really think, and this is kind of going off on a little tangent. The offense was never what got pull, Cooper Johnson pulled off the field, in my opinion. Um, no, I it was just it was just the fact that Nick Fortes existed and had that, such a good bet. Well, that and because he didn't, because if Cooper would have hit one twenty and played the defense that he played this year, the past two years, I think they find another position for Fortes and somebody else gets sacrificed. Um, well, you know, Fortes think, at first base, probably. Well, the, well, Fortes, you know, he played some right field, and Olenek goes to second base, and Adams comes yeah, out of the lineup. But so, and, and Mike mentioned that a little bit on Friday when I asked about Cooper Johnson. He was like, look, part of it is just allowing him to be himself and allow him to play every day with no pressure. I think that's made all the difference to him. Sure. Because he's yeah. a kid that, that really cares almost to a fault and like press it like 
has a tendency to press. So when you when there's no pressure of you know, I mean, he's not getting yanked for Hunter Neighbors or Knox Laposer, and they're not putting <laughs> Dillard back there unless, for, unless he gets ejected. Yeah, so that, that that does happen. But point being, like when he has no pressure and he's allowed to be himself, like you're kind of seeing him come into his own, and he's yeah. he's he's helped his draft stock out immensely. <laughs> I mean, he's a first-round pick if if I've ever seen one. I mean, you 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 hit like that at the catcher position. You play like that defensively. Uh, somebody's going to take you. and You're going to be in the major leagues pretty soon. Um, so, I, I mean, they'll they'll develop him and whatnot. But he he's certainly a major league talent at this point in his career. And and in the turnaround, they they've got to be you know, and, and, you know, I guess just hypothetical here. You. I think you're kind of a big numbers guy in baseball, and I certainly am. The war percentage or, or war stat uh, wins above replacement. He probably leads this team, right, when you factor in offense, defense, and all of that? Ooh. Um, I mean, the, the yeah, I don't think – or... Yeah, I, I don't think it's any – yeah, I mean, it probably has to be because yeah. it's not Zabowski as good as he's hit. No, because he doesn't provide much defensively. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that's probably it. It's probably not even necessarily particularly close. Right. So, overall, impre- I mean, so then he, he obviously he does the line draw, which I thought was a power move. He gets tossed from the third game. You can't get away with the line draw in the major leagues. You're certainly not getting away with it in college, but I respect the audacity. My favorite part was he, he drew the line, when, and then they got through him out, and he's like, well, what did I do? It's like, Coop, come man. Yeah, <laughs> you drew a line in the dirt where the pitch actually was. Like that's such a like a classic neg to an umpire because it's like you know your blind ass thought it was here, but here is exactly where it was. And so like you you can't do that. I mean like you're not getting the you're not getting away with that in the bigs. You're certainly not getting away with that in college. So he's suspended for a game. Uh, whatever. So he will not play Tuesday at Southern. I mean yeah, whatever. They're they're it's Dillard probably, probably going to catch it. Yeah, so like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you probably don't want to do that. They need him on the field, but yeah, if you're, just if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, do it in a game that's the last game of the series, so you're suspended for Southern Miss and not Kentucky. He probably needs a batting new batting helmet too, because that thing uh, hit the concrete pretty hard in the dugout. From oh, what did I can it? Tell. Yeah, it did. So, um, <laughs> you know, thank you for new helmet. So, big picture with this team is I can't figure them out because. <laughs> Sunday is still an issue, which I think they can work. I think, like, I've written a couple of times that Sunday is not as a pressing issue because of Nikhazy. And that one-two punch has kind of alleviated the sense of urgency to find a solution on Sunday. But, like, Roth wasn't good. Well, Roth wasn't terrible. He had no, he error. wasn't as bad as They were squaring. I mean, he had some hard contact, but he gave up four unearned runs. Didn't, like... So when you pull Gunnar Hoagland out of Sunday, you're expecting to get more length out of the guy you pull him for. That didn't happen. Um, you know, I have an idea of what they're going to do, but I can't figure this team out because they're really like Mike's kind of piecing together pitching by the seam of his pants. The offense seems to be rounding into form to kind of mask a lot of those pitching blemishes. And then the one, two punch is good enough. I just don't know what this team is. I don't know if they are a three seed in Corvallis, Oregon, or they're a national seed. I have no idea. Well, at eight and four, it's going to be kind of, they're going to have to follow ways to uh, be a three seed in Corvallis. Um, you know, it'd be really, you know, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I, I just kind of think that this is a team that if, if you made me guess right now, they host a regional cause I think they win 17 games. I mean, they're eight and four right now. I think you look up after this weekend, they're probably no worse than 10 and five. 
and the to host a regional, you got to go seventeen and thirteen. Or yes, yeah, seventeen and thirteen. If you're ten and five, that means you're going seven and eight down the stretch, which is a losing record. But if you're seventeen and thirteen, this team is hosting a regional more than likely. So if I had to guess right now, I think it's a team that's probably a one seed, a non-national seed host, and, and gets baseball in Oxford in June, which is kind of what this team was built for. Um, so you know, I, I think it was a it went a long ways to you know rectify a lot of of the angst that happened early in the season. And some of that was justified angst. So it was a, it was a big time, big time sweep. If you had told this program that they'd be eight and four after 12 games, almost anyone would have taken it. And frankly, and Mike's teams always play better towards the end of the year. Like they're always much stronger in the second half than they are in the first half of the SEC season. Sure. And like, I'm not sure how much stock you put into that because it's not like, you know, like a scientific thing, but like he, like, Mike's had teams with less talent overcome worse starts. Oh, absolutely. I guess is what I'm absolutely. saying. The talent on this team is undeniable. But let's kind of get into it. Uh, the Sunday issue is real. Um, We're similar thinking here, though, like in terms of what that is. I mean, let's get right to it. So, like, I think they have to go Tyler Myers because he's shown that he can provide length. I mean, what Tyler Myers does out of relief, the 4.1, the 5.1, you know, 3.2, if he gives you that on Sunday, it's already better than what you're getting. I, I completely agree that Tyler Myers is probably the guy you go to on Sunday. But here – and I told you this earlier today, and it's a wild idea. But I, I think at this point in the, uh, the season, you've got two, two bullpen arms outside of Myers that you trust in Caracy and Miller right now. I, I don't really know if, if there's any do – you, do you think Mike Bianco trusts another guy to get outs in high leverage situations right now? Well, let's think. Max Chofi, probably no. Olenek? I think that's because he was going to Olenek on Saturday yeah, before he got hurt. I think Olenek. Uh, yes. I, Roth, I don't know. Probably not. Um, I mean, then after that, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely no. Like, it's nose across the board. Firm so, nose. So, help me help talk me out of this. Why would you not just put Olenek as the pitcher DH and start him? That way you're not burning your DH on Sunday. If you're going to have to count on the kid to get outs eventually. Because I think it's 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 – it's it's a trust thing with Bianco, and not in terms of like he doesn't think Olenek getting it done, but like in letting Olenek pitch a couple times in the midweek and go through a lineup once is like I know that's probably all he'd need to do, but like it's I don't know that's such a different role, and like and Mike's gonna probably gonna be very uncomfortable taking him out of center field to start the game, so or really for the whole game, right? Because I mean you're yeah he would be out the whole game. So I yeah I mean I, I, it, I mean, makes, I think, it makes sense I just don't think he's gonna I don't like that seems like too drastic of a change for his managerial style I guess is basically <laughs> what it'll boil down to yeah and, and I get what you're saying about taking him out of the outfield I, I essentially think moving Anthony Cerritio to center field makes your outfield better um, uh, because I think Anthony Cerritio is probably if you put Anthony Cerritio at any position on this field outside of catcher and first base the defense is probably better. Um, because the kid's just a dynamic athlete. But, yeah, I mean, they've got options on Sunday. I think we both kind of agree that Mike will start Tyler Myers on, on next Sunday. It could be a situation where they do it with, where they did with, uh, with R.J. Hively in 2012 is leave it as to be announced, see if you need Myers on Friday and Saturday. If you don't, start him. If you do, put him in and win the baseball game, and you can figure out Sunday when you get there, um, kind of like they did this weekend. So they're in decent position, eight and four. I don't think a lot of people thought they'd been there a couple weeks ago. Um, Southern Miss on Tuesday. I'll be at the glorious Trustmark Park. Um, Gunnar Hogland probably. A, uh, yes, because I don't think they're getting anything out. Like, like Hoagland, I think will help them on the midweeks because one, when he struggles a little bit, you're not as pressed to take him out. Two, he's shown enough in flashes. He's going to be better than. I mean, let's be honest. He's better than what they have. They're getting nothing there. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I mean, Jordan Fowler's a forfeit right now. 
so is I mean they tried Max Trophy and like they lost to North Alabama and not completely to him he's yeah it, it did not go well no. um so yeah probably Gunnar Hoagland I, I I think so I and I think that might fix some things there that'll be that'll actually be really interesting to watch because yeah. quality I, opponent so. Really, all of, I mean, they're in good position. Kentucky comes in next weekend. You, you got to get around one hurdle in, in Zach Thompson. Other than that, Kentucky, Kentucky stinks. Um, so like <laughs> they do throw they, a lot of lefties. That's that's the only yeah. That would be the you. one hang up. And like yeah. you've kind of seen how that movie ends for Ole Miss at times <laughs> this year. So good position. You know, the I think it's an important weekend for them. I say that every week, but like kind of when you head into the back half of SEC play, like. You know, if you're ten and five. That's 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 pretty good, pretty good spot. So yeah, we'll kind of. And, and if see you're talking that... about winning the West, it's it's a series that you cannot afford to slip up in. Oh yeah, definitely. And like they're they're tr- they seem to be trending in the right direction in April after kind of spinning their wheels for a couple months. So interesting week ahead with the Southern Miss because you can't lose any more midweek games. I mean, you can, but like you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. In that sense, and then Kentucky. So really, all we had was the Final Four outside of Ole Miss stuff this weekend i didn't get to watch much because i was running around from ballpark to stadium um on sunday so i mean on saturday excuse me um texas tech is a hell of a story um that's a really tough way for lose to auburn it's the right call it's a foul um i know you probably wouldn't prefer to see it called there but my thing is it's like when you start being subjective into what fouls to call when it's a slippery slope so i guess we'll start there auburn I mean, Auburn was a second and a half left. They, like, they had fouls to give. They were literally bleeding out the clock for Virginia. Like, you're like, Auburn's going to the national title game, and then all of a sudden, they're not. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's a real tough situation. I don't know if you saw, you you didn't. You said you didn't get to watch much. They missed an obvious double dribble. That, oh, I, I mean, saw, I saw. I mean, I caught all the replays and Twitter hypes, and then I say I didn't catch much of it. I watched... Most of that game, the second half of that game in the press box, it was the second game that I saw virtually none of. Yeah, well, I mean, it, that that would kind of be where that I That double dribble is egregious. Yeah, you can't kinda, miss that call. That's why I swallow my whistle on the on the three-point shot, and I know you can't do makeup calls, whatever. You miss but that egregious. Okay, so I don't disagree, but I'm not sure at that point that the officials knew it. I'm not sure they How knew it. How do you until not know you, that? If you, I mean, goodness. I mean, surely Pearl said something, right? Well, it, I I didn't have so I was I was watching with the broadcast on mute. Did the broadcast pick it up because it seemed to just slip by the wayside until you know you start the seeing Twitter didn't and it. yes, they did or did not. They they did mention it after you know they they because you know Virginia okay at the time or after the fact because like after in real fact, time was, I'm sitting there going that's a double dribble like yeah the kid dribbles it off his heel like it, and you miss come on now. Um, in the final four, I, I just don't understand how that call is missed, and and it's the reason Virginia is going to play Texas Tech tonight. Yeah, I, that's that's tough for Auburn because that was a hell of a story. The way they killed blue blood after blue blood, and then the you know get to the Look, final four without Chumo Kiki, that's a hell of a story. I mean, but Virginia probably deserved to win that game, right? They're up ten with four and a half left. They're the better basketball team, and just oh, much. I see. I go both ways there because they were. 10 and then they kind of do what virginia does and they kind of pooped in their pants a little bit if we're being completely honest does he have a problem down the stretch because no it's the system it's that system it is okay i mean you you, it sounds counterintuitive to say because you're like what are you talking about you know all they do is run it like deep into the shot clock and get good looks but like when teams start scoring like 
to me, when teams are racing it up the floor and trying to speed them up to catch up late in games, like most of the time that works, but like when you kind of get tight and that's not working, like they don't have different ways to score, I guess. Like with, with that system, like they're not getting an easy basket in transition to like calm things down and stuff like that. Like there's one way for them to score, and when it's not working, it's not working, I guess is kind of my point there. And a lot of teams can't, frankly, when, when they're down like Auburn is, they can't shoot the hell out of the basketball and, and get, you know, erase a 10-point lead in three and a half minutes, which Auburn did, uh, because Bryce Brown is unconscious right now or was unconscious. Um, so, yeah, it, it was uh, it was definitely worry time for Virginia. And, and I think, you know, tonight will be fascinating. We can get into it. Texas Tech kind of – they won by 10. It got close down the stretch. They kind of just kind of dismantled Michigan State and made Michigan State look like – I mean, made Michigan State look scared, honestly. Michigan State's a good offensive team, and they're a team full of upperclassmen that know how to play basketball. And that, to me, just highlighted that, like, Texas Tech is like – people don't like college basketball because, like, you're like, no scoring, like, whether it's good defense or terrible offense or whatever, Texas Tech is playing defense at a ridiculously high level. And honestly, it's kind of fun. like I like watching. I'm not like the crusty college basketball like diehard who's like, yeah, this defensive thirty to thirty games, awesome. Like, <laughs> not saying that, but like I really enjoy watching them play defense because they make really good teams and really good players look pedestrian. Yeah, and and it it kind of proves um, that. You know, if Texas Tech can play for a national title, man, if you get the right guys in there, any Power Five team in the country can play for a national title. I mean, sure, it's the right coach and right two or three pieces, like players-wise. Rutgers, it don't matter if you get the right players and the right coach in there, you can win a national title at any Power Five job. Because, I mean, they're a one-point underdog tonight, uh, a team from Lubbock, Texas. So it's uh, it's a testament to Chris Beard. He's done a, done a great job. I figure he's going to be there a while. They'll lock him up tonight or after tonight, I'm sure. Um, so it's just you know the way he's got that team playing at such a high level. It's 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 been an amazing coaching job on his part. Yeah, and like Jeff Goodman, who now works at that kind of new outlet, Watch Stadium or whatever it, it's called. They he had he wrote a piece in the summer where the Big Twelve coaches ranked the jobs in the conference and Big Twelve and. Uh, Texas Tech was consensusly last. <laughs> so went away from the national title. I mean, yes, yeah, we. I mean, Texas Tech is in, and it's not. It's it, the thing about it is, is everyone like I think people are shocked by the name more so than anything else because one, they're an elite eight team last year, and two, they were really good all year in a really oh, tough Big Twelve. Well, I mean, like they're yeah, you they're won, a good they team won the with Big good 12. players. Yeah. yeah, they won the Big Twelve because the Big Twelve hasn't won a. They've won one title since the Kansas title in '09 since like 2000. For as good of a league as that's been, let me think. Yeah, because I mean it's a league with a lot of good teams, but not like like they're at like Kansas has always been the best of the best there. But like it's a bunch of like I guess this year as an example, it's like Kansas, and then it's always like they always have seven teams that are like Iowa State caliber. To where yeah, like, Iowa State. It's, it's really good and tough to get through, but like Iowa State was probably never making the Final Four. Yeah, and Iowa State never gets it done in the tournament, even when they're really good. I mean, um, so yeah, it's it's a league that kind of Texas Tech has kind of run away with this year after Kansas had the the down year that they had, and it'll be an interesting matchup tonight. I think the point total is one nineteen for a national title game, so it's kind of crazy. Um, so it's I don't know who I think wins tonight. It's uh, it's going to be a slugfest, I guess. I think I'm going to take Virginia because I think at the end of the day they might can score it a little bit better than Texas Tech. But it wouldn't shock me at all if Texas Tech rolls in there and wins the national title tonight. Yeah, I have no idea who to pick because I think Virginia kind of is the storybook story. They've gotten really fortunate in a couple games. I hope but. Virginia wins. 
I, I'm kind of rooting for them. I'd be fine either way, I think. Because I think Virginia to this point has validated the whole, like, oh, you lost to a 16, but then they make it to the national <laughs> title game. Like, to me, winning it would be the icing on the cake, and it'd be a cool story. I'm fine either way, because if Chris Beard and Texas Tech win a national title, like, that's just kind of, like, it's not a sexy storyline for, like, the Colin Cowherds of the world to talk <laughs> about tomorrow and them say college basketball Coolest Virginia sucks. either? No, not necessarily, but you have the whole, like, oh, look at this team. They lost to a 16 and then did this. So, like, the, okay. the Fair making the two ends meet, I guess, is kind of a cool story. So, no, but, like, if Texas Tech wins, like, people are going to, like, nationally are going to crap on how bad college basketball is. But to me, that's <laughs> a fascinating storyline because it's like, how did this guy do this in three, four years at this school? I love it, Texas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's not it's like – you don't see Lubbock's name in the FBI. I mean, Texas Tech in the FBI probe. Like, I mean, it's 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 an interesting story. So tonight will be awesome. Tonight they're, they're they're not going to be. It's going to be a classic college basketball game. They're not going to be that many points scored. Yeah, but it's going to be uh, awesome. It's um, you know, as much as and I think we'll both agree, college basketball is probably the dirtiest. And I don't want to say dirty from uh, I think what they're doing is is wrong standpoint, but it's probably the biggest sport with the most illegal recruiting and benefits paid out and whatever. I think oh, you got yeah, because it's not just it's not, you know, Johnny Grayhair who cut a check for you know a new building on campus giving kids money. It's like shoe companies trying to yeah. funnel these kids and shape their futures. And, and let me be clear, I don't have any problems with these kids getting money. Don't don't think no, I'm saying absolutely that. none. But I think you've got two programs that kind of do it by the book tonight, don't you think? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's close to as by the book as you possibly get in in college because you never know what to like make of it when you say that. Because you always hear like, oh, you ever now that you catch these crazy stories of you like you'll have this former D two athlete and be like, look, I got paid at this school. So you're sitting there thinking like, if D two schools <laughs> are offering benefits to kids, like who is it? But to your point, yes, like it's it's not. None of these, like none of these coaches, are going to be in the FBI report, and none no. of these teams are going to have staffers <laughs> being taken off in handcuffs. So no. yes, it's it's as close to by the book as possible. I would say yes. Yeah, so that, I think you know the NCAA is probably happy tonight because they don't have to they don't have to deal with that. And I'm not saying it was a conspiracy to out Auburn or anything like that. I just kind of think that the NCAA is, is they get the matchup they want tonight. Um, but, yeah, you know, Mark Emmert handing the trophy to like. Tony Benford at LSU or or, <laughs> Bruce, or, Pearl. or Bruce Pearl would have just been hilarious, but oh, we were God. all robbed of that. But oh well, <laughs> uh, conspiracy theory. Um, anyways, but yeah, it's two programs that they've done, kind of done it the right way, can develop talent in a way that you know we got them in a national title game tonight. So that's about all I had. We went quite a while, but a lot of stuff to get to this weekend. It was a busy weekend, both with Ole Miss sports and beyond it. Um, not really hitting a dead time in the sports period, too. I love this time of year because you're like, crap, March Madness is ending. Then you're like, wait a minute, I get the NBA playoffs for the next two months. And um, if you're an NHL fan, like, you get the NHL playoffs. Well, I was about to say, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a big hockey fan, but I love watching hockey playoffs. The NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, to me, are awesome. Like, those games, <laughs> the, the intensity in those games, particularly like when you get fan bases that are really into it, and the playoffs pretty much everyone are, it is great. Like, I love right. playoff hockey is intense. Do, do, do you follow hockey enough to give me a team that could win it but is not, like, the overwhelming favorite? I need to adopt a hockey well, team. Well, see, that's the stuff. beauty about hockey is, like, any – like, that it's that way every year. Like, you, obviously, the one seeds, like, are probably a little bit favored off, but you have eight seeds knock off one seeds in hockey playoffs fairly frequently. I mean, hell, an expansion team made the Stanley Cup final last that's year. That's true. Yeah. Like, it's, it literally can happen to anyone. And, like, the Capitals – 
were like a, I think five or six seed when they won it. Maybe last year. I don't I don't not sure if that's right. But like, so there there you could go. You can't go wrong with anyone. I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. Because Fair like enough. it's it's literally just kind of who has a hot goaltender. <laughs> it's so, probably a good thing we went an hour and ten minutes before we started talking about hockey here in Mississippi. I'm down for a, I'll, once you know I'm going to sit down and watch it entire. Like I'm going to pick one playoff series and then one day I'm just going to spend thirty minutes trying to break it down. I don't know anything about hockey other than like you're supposed to hit it at the net, and it's kind of like a faster version of soccer. If, on I, ice. if I had, to, if you had to break down one to uh, save your life, would you rather break down hockey or soccer? Oh, hockey, one hundred percent. Soccer <laughs> not, be terrible, not. like. Because soccer, you're breaking down a zero-zero tie. Like, I, I want no part of that. Um, so, we'll be back with that. A lot of lot of stuff to get into this week. Um, really, just kind of all baseball from here on out. But anything else that pops up, um, we will kind of have that for you. So, for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. We will be back at it on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.